Hello and welcome back to another very special episode, you guessed it, of Faking Injuries. I'm back from vacation. You're on the London business, you know, master's program, study grind. I'm refreshed. You're grinding. I think we're kind of balancing out and we've got a heater in store. As for what that is, we're going to run through our patented pop quiz. I've got some questions. You're going to try to stump me as well. And then you've been our expert on AFCON. It's the tournament of arguably the greatest continent in the world. Some are saying we're agreeing. And I'm excited to hear all the things, storylines you've dug up there. Fertile ground, it seems. Sounds good to me. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. The AFCON tournament has been absolute chaos, so I'm really excited to run that down later. But I say we jump into this pop quiz. My first question, Watford set the record for most defeats at home in the Premier League season, a record that both Sheffield United and Burnley are trying to break this year. How many games did Watford lose at home that year? And you'll remember this year because they were particularly bad. Okay, you're trying to frame this as easy, but it's really like an investment banking interview question. First principles, 36 matches. That's 18 home matches. Watford, pretty dog shit. I'm going to say 15. Spot on, 15 losses at home, which is hard to do. Yeah, that was a slim year for the Pozo family. Probably some extra intra-family transfers from Unese to Watford to make the numbers balance. But hey, at least you now have a middling championship asset. (laughs) My first pop quiz question. Multi-club ownership, been on my mind. How many clubs can you name that are in the City Football Group? Wow, okay. City. NYCFC, Yokohama, Marinos. And for the less popular ones, maybe give the country? Yep, sorry. Yokohama, Marinos is in Japan. Yorona in Spain. Troy in Ligue 1. Trois. Trois. Do they have a Belgian club? Yes, they do. Uh, I'm forgetting. I'm blanking on that. And then we have to go to South America. Damn it, I forgot the name of whatever their city FC in Brazil is, but that's another. That one would be Bahia. B-A-H-I-A, I think. I think that's all I got. I'll give you a quick round of hints. There's an Italian club. Second division. No clue. That would be Palermo. I believe oh, purchased I in the last 12 months. Yeah. They should be in Syria next year, last time I checked. Paulo Dybala, former club. There's one on the country continent of Australia. Melbourne City? Melbourne. (laughs) Is that right, though? Do they own them? That is correct. Melbourne City. You got Yokohama. There's a team in Uruguay that they own. No clue. Three, two, one. That would be Montevideo City Torque. It seems like their first order search is find big cities with M. A team in China. Also a type of sauce. Sichuan City. <laughs> I think it's maybe it's not a sauce. Sichuan Jinyu uh, is my best pronunciation. That was news to me. The Belgian club, to wrap it up, that was Lamo SK, Trois, Palermo, Bahia, and then one club partnership. I don't know what that means. Maybe this is where they just send money to get their accounting equations to plug, and they can blame a third party. That's Club Bolivar in Bolivia. Wow. Quite uh, a few, but I feel like I got a solid six there, so I'll take it. Yep, six... 12 by my count, and look for them in the next 
three to five years to sell a portfolio to uh, American investors. We'll see how that package goes. I like it. I enjoy the multi-club ownership questions. They're always a little interesting and you know, you learn something new. Let's move on to a question. And I'll be honest, this is a tough one. Mm. This is going to test your knowledge of the lower leagues within English football. We're talking all top four tiers. Two teams within the FA shared the same stadium name, the same name for their grounds, as they call it. My first hint is that one club is in the Prem, one is in League One, okay? And then my second hint is that both clubs are not in London, Manchester, or Liverpool. I don't want to drag this out. Uh, Frankly, I kind of hate having to remember all the stadium names. I'm bad at it. It's a source of insecurity of mine. Just give me the answer and let's keep moving. (laughs) St. James Park, Newcastle United, and Exeter City. I don't think you were going to get that one, but figured I'd throw it out there just in case you ever played Exeter City. What is Ex- What even is Exeter City? Is that in Wales? <laughs> I have no idea. Okay, because I always get confused the few Welsh clubs that are in the English English pyramid. <laughs> and then I think, like, to throw a wrinkle, what's the kid? Ampadu, who came to Chelsea at a young age. He was playing at Exeter and is Welsh, so may- maybe that's just the source of... Poor pattern recognition. The Venn diagrams are very confusing. Uh, yeah. Kingdom, Great Britain. We won't get into it. Let me throw it back to you. All right. Keeping it in multi-club ownership land, I'm going to bring you back into a theoretical room with a former owner of yours, Todd L. Bowley, a compatriot. Can you name one? We'll see if this is easy enough. One of Todd Bowley's non-football club or any sport franchise assets. P.E. guy. Something stupid like Chestnut Partners or something like that. I think there's a lake maybe. His money's in entertainment. So I understand it's hard to know holding company guy where his money's at. But there's usually one sentence, the first sentence of a Wikipedia article that's like, hey, he's from LA. He did the money media thing. That's exactly who he is. The one, A24, that's a music studio, right? That's the movie studio, TV shows. They clean up at the Oscars all the time. Any show that comes from A24 is a big deal. A little bit of American hot water from a British perspective when, did you see the publicity stunt where they were promoting one of the movies at a Chelsea match? Yes. Seven men right behind the bench, like all dressed up in Kingsmen spy clothing because it was a spy film. They're reading newspapers, brushing their teeth. Todd, for, for America's sake, you're disparaging, besmirching our good name. Can we be a little more discreet with our cross promotion? Completely agreed. That is a cool company to own, but Todd, get it together. Just to run down a few of the others, we got The Hollywood Reporter. Is is that like a, a tabloid I think it, I thing? I think so. Variety, Billboard, Rolling Stone. I, I like the Rolling Stone asset. I do. It sounds like it's still a brand. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Rolling Stone cover is still a thing, I believe. Yeah. I would sell that one before the baby boomers start going. Just like as... as Sound financial advice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But let's get out of this one. A little background on Bowley, the owner of Chelsea and Strasbourg. Keep it moving. Return fire, sir. This should be my easiest one. Who is the only player in Premier League history to hit the woodwork four times in a match? Darwin Nunez. Yes. Okay. <laughs> last weekend. I appreciate that. My last question it relates to the January transfer window. We've got the deep dive coming out soon, giving out some awards, some cheekier than others. Where is Ivan Perisic currently plying his trade as of a week ago? Was at Tottenham, got sold because he wasn't playing at all and he's old. 
Did he return to his home country? Hadrick Split? He's back. He went to Split. Not only was it a free transfer, but his wages are now $1 or one euro a month. Not a happy agent, it sounds like, but kind of a cool gesture. There's worse places to be, I'm sure, than Split, right? That's I'm sure a, he's happy to yeah, go home, be with family. That's a pretty tropical, beautiful place. And one other piece... It gave a little background on his initial exit from Croatia at 16 or 17. He moved to Sochaux. There was an impetus for him to move because his father's Croatian chicken farm, its weekly operating cash flows were negative. Turns out a French Academy contract for our boy Perisic, that was enough. Save the family farm. And I'm sure there was some further capex uh, based on Ivan's wages in the future. That's a great backstory. I didn't know that at all. Yep. Ivan, what a guy. Good for him. Yeah, and still a player in there for Split. Oh, yeah, he's a legend. Do you have one more before we get into our AFCON deep dive? Yes, last question, and we're moving out of the FA into international football. Which nation is the only nation to make the final of both a World Cup and a European Championship despite never hosting either tournament? Croatia. No. But you're not, like, super far off. Is this some old-ass shit you're about to give me? It might... Yeah, it, it's reasonably old. Is this about old. to be some George Puskas Hungary? No, it's reasonably old, but it's a, it's a league we appreciate with some clubs we, we follow. All right. In Europe, sometimes. Sometimes. That sounds lighter than Germany. I... I don't know. Who is it? Well, Germany's hosted it. Like, uh, any of the big country, you gotta rule out. I don't know my hostings well either. Stadiums, what their names are and what they've hosted, not on the top of my list. All right. Let's just say they produced Abdulasima. Okay. Got it. Czech Republic? Yeah. Czech Republic slash Czechoslovakia. Never hosted it, but have been in the final of both the World's Cup and the Euros. Just for our understanding of the world, what were they in Cold War era? Were they Yugoslavia? I think they were Czechoslovakia. Czechoslovakia. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Let's keep it moving before we get called out on that one. Is that our cue to get into AFCON? Yeah. Let's dive into it. All right, Noah. This is what I've been the most excited for to talk about this week because this tournament has been absolute chaos and we have purposely kept you out of the loop. I told you, don't watch any highlights. Don't check the foot mob. We need your instant reactions to the results at hand. There's no other place to start than Ivory Coast because they have had the most roller coaster of a tournament. Let me give you the rundown. They were horrible in the group stages, lost 4-0 to Equatorial Guinea, lost 1-0 to Nigeria, finished third in their group, and they were one of the lucky third-place teams to make it in to the next round. We're talking about Ivory Coast, the hosts here. Yes, the hosts of the tournament. They lost 4-0? Equatorial Guinea, yes. And you promised that's a country because you tried to tell me Al-Kabab was a country in Saudi Arabia. Equatorial Guinea happens to be the only country in Africa whose language is Spanish. Okay. Fun, weird, connected fact is I was in the shower thankful. (laughs) Hey, listen to me. I was thankful that I'm pretty sure no African countries speak German. And for a second, I thought that was going to be the equatorial Ghanaians. Apologies for interrupting. Keep it moving. Yeah, so after the group stages, their manager resigned or was forcibly removed. It's a little uncertain, despite the team still being in the tournament. Okay, I have to jump in again. Your usage of the phrase forcibly removed. That in AFCON, you have the wide in the Overton window. Was he removed by the FA? Was he removed by, like, is this a coup is what I'm asking. The official statement was that he resigned after the miserable group stages, but they're still in the tournament. So it seems like he might have been fired or like 
hey, you have to resign, sign this paper right now. Okay. Yeah. We're I, not sure. Okay. I'd be curious to know who held his passport when that statement was made. Yes. So they hire a new 40-year-old coach, and then Ivory Coast went on to beat champion Senegal in the round of 16 on penalties. They conceded in the fourth minute, came back, Kirk us out of this penalty shootout. There was nothing but goals. The keepers weren't stopping anything. And I love the idea of having your players decide in the moment, like, who's going to take the pen? I feel confident. Let me take it. Have your leaders step up. They're going to be way more confident, more likely to score. And that's what happened? Yes, but I think there needs to be some checks and balances in place. Mm. Because when a guy like Musa Niakate, the bench center back for Nottingham Forest, steps up to take your third pen (laughs) and misses the net, the coach or the captain should step in and say, hey... Maybe let's go with like an attacker instead of Big Moose, you know? But Premier League. (laughs) I hate to put it all on one guy because it's a random thing like penalties, um, although he was the only one to miss. Let's not have Musa take a pen when he's never even taken one in practice. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And I I know your sources are tight, so he literally has never taken a pen in practice. Was it close? No. Okay. Oh, that's tough. Okay. Next up, quarterfinals versus Mali. They concede a penalty in the 16th minute. Odala Kasonu handball, got his first yellow. So you're like, oh, this is a tough start to the game. My new favorite keeper, Yahya Fafana, save the pen, man of the match, big save. But then Kosonu gets another yellow in the 43rd minute. It's quite unclear from the highlights what happened here. They just started the second half, a man down. So not sure what went down. Wait, 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 wait. It wasn't given in the first half, but something happened post-first half? So, Kasonu got a handball, yellow card, penalty, penalty saved. Yes. Then, Kasonu got another yellow card, seemingly towards the end of the first half, but it didn't show it. I didn't see it in the highlights. I watched a 20-minute highlight video, no clue what happened. Okay, that's shady. Got it, got it. So, man down, second half, Nene Dorgales, who was probably the best player for Molly in the whole game, he scored a screamer, broke a guy's ankles, curled a rocket into the top corner from way outside the box. It just looks like the tournament's over. They're a man down. They're down 1-0. It's the 70th minute. Quick aside here, he also refused to celebrate because he was born in Ivory Coast. I've seen that happen with clubs. You know, a guy gets transferred. He won't celebrate against his old club. For your national team, I feel like you should be able to celebrate. No, actually, I think that's beautiful. The game, it means a little bit more at the international level. And there's got to be some connection there, right? These countries, they got a lot culturally... Maybe it's an uncle, you know, that isn't family uncle, but he's Ivorian. Absolutely. All right, let me fast forward to the 90th minute. Still 1-0. They're still down a man, but they're creating chances. And for Ivory Coast, Simon Adingra, the Brighton Wonder kid from the Right to Dream Academy, he was certainly dreaming because he scored an equalizer in the 90th minute to send it to extra time. Quickly, any comments on the goal? He set up the whole thing, picked up the ball in the wing, dribbled in, played a quick one-two with Seiko Fafana, finished it in the back of the net. Signature celebration. Ooh. Salute. It was cold. Whiz patch and toe still? Yes. And the place went absolutely insane, right? Because this is in Ivory Coast. It's a huge stadium that they're playing in. And the right to dream element, too, is like just a beautiful little extra drizzle on the Sunday. You know, like... They've invested in the region. There's been the pipeline of young players moving to Denmark, of which in Ivory Coast, in Mali, in Ghana, and to like see it on the African continent too. Like, that's beautiful. It is beautiful. So 10-man Ivory Coast, they held it down all of extra time. No goals. You know, they're just trying to sit back, not leak anything, 
try to send it to penalties. But then there's a corner in the 102nd minute, comes in, gets cleared by the Mali defenders, falls to Seiko Fafana, who rips one from outside the box, something he's quite known for. And Umar Diakite does a little like hockey deflection, just a quick like Mm -hmm. off his foot, change the angle it's coming in at a little bit. That goes past the goalie. They complete, I would say, the best comeback in AFCON history, scoring in the 92nd minute and then the 122nd minute with 10 men. Two more red cards got handed out after the goal. Diakite had to take a shirt off, obviously. Mm. Got a second yellow red card. Can't play in the semifinal. And then it just descends into absolute chaos. The Mali captain... Hamari Traore, who plays for Real Sociedad, he was pissed at the refs because they didn't call a foul before the goal and absolutely lost his mind. Started pushing the ref and trying to fight him. The ref started pushing back. Oh, when refs (laughs) fight back. And then at the same time, someone's pouring water over the head of the Mali coach who like nearly passed out on the field after the comeback is made by Ivory Coast. He can't believe what's just happened. Is on the ground and having water dumped on his head. Just descended into absolute chaos. But on the happier side, the stadium went nuts. The players went nuts. This meant everything to Ivory Coast. Wow. I didn't realize it was extra time or added time of extra time as well. That is insane. And Diakite, he's at Rame. Yes. Right? If I flash back, transfer strategy, he was one that we loved because never played a game for Salzburg, if I recall. And Rame just went straight to Liefering, right? The B team, because they always have this surplus of whether it's Austrian or often West African. And he's been doing well. So that's cool that that he got the deflection. Yeah, it was unbelievable. The announcer just kept saying over and over, nobody can believe it. Nobody can believe it. He just said it 10 times in a row. (laughs) I kind of respect that. (laughs) I loved it. It was a legendary call and a a truly legendary win. One more aside, I threw futures on Nigeria and Ivory Coast, which are looking pretty juicy. So we might have a, a big payday for the faking injuries budget soon. Well done. Well done. Well done. Both are still in the tournament. Is it just this game you want to recap or? We need to move to the other side of the bracket where South Africa played Cape Verde. South Africa is a team made up mostly of players from the South African League. Almost no players in Europe in their starting lineup. No Lyle Foster the whole tournament. So not a lot of names we know. They seem like a unit. Almost all of them play for Mama Lodi Sundowns. Oh yeah, we talked about them. So I think they have some chemistry going there, which has worked out for them so far as they made a great run. On the other side, Cape Verde. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you followed them at all through this tournament. They have some big names in Europe, like Jovan Cabral. Gary Rodriguez. Gary Rodriguez. And they've had an amazing tournament run. Like, one of the most impressive and shocking. They are the dark horse of this tournament. Undefeated record up until now. Winning three games. They knocked Ghana out of the tournament. And they drew to Egypt, which put them in a precarious spot as well. Two players, quickly, to watch out for from their team. Jao Paulo. 25-year-old midfielder for Sheriff. He joined in the mm. summer from Farinese yep. in the Liga Portugal Division 2. He had a great tournament running the show in the midfield, and I'd expect him to develop into a star at Sheriff, but it doesn't seem like he's getting enough playing time yet. The other one is Logan Costa, the 22-year-old center back who plays for Toulouse, also part of the Billy yes. Bean Redbird Capital. He starts every game for them from the Rem Academy and is like their talisman at the back, right? He's running the show. They dominated the game. 25 shots. Both teams had their chances, but 
it certainly looked like it was Cape Verde's match to win. The game was a less exciting affair than Ivory Coast Mali with it ending nil-nil through extra time, but they go to penalties. Oh boy, the penalty shootout was wild. Okay, all right, bracing. You know, just checking the pulse here, more or less volatility than story number one? Probably less, but it's pretty insane. All right, all right, just get into it. Cape Verde, they lost in penalties. And they lost in penalties because the South African goalkeeper, Ronwen Williams, saved four out of the five penalty shots. And they were not bad shots. These were all great penalty takes, heading for a corner, rockets, and he, like, low corner, top left. He stopped everything. The first three shots they took stopped all of them. Just absolutely cold. You know, and there's different versions of tournament goalkeeping. You can either hit them with the stone cold. It's nothing. You do this literally every day or pure glee and excitement. How would you characterize it? It was glee and excitement. And he was hyping himself up after every save. And it almost seemed like he was getting more confidence because he, the first two were like tough saves. Bottom corner, great pens, and he just got a hand to both. So he was pumped up. Cape Ferg converted the fourth and then the fifth one to win the tournament. He just puts on another unbelievable stop. I had to look into this guy. He's 32, six feet tall, insanely athletic. He looks like an NBA point guard, plays for the best team in South Africa, Mama Lodi Sundowns, and he seems pretty dominant. He's got nine clean sheets in 11 matches with a 90% save rate. Yeah, devil's advocate. I wonder how the balance of power is there in South Africa. But the saves don't lie. Being a six-foot goalkeeper, right, that, that makes the distance to cover a little bit further. And if I am to believe what you're putting out here, and he was just like diving straight to the top left and, you know, getting down low to the right, seems pretty nutty. That's the best part about tournaments, you know, that there's a goalkeeper or two who carry a team through pens. I would not be surprised if teams started looking at him because it was the most unbelievable penalty performance I've ever seen from a keeper. Like, hands down, he was just like, he knew he was saving Okay, I love it. It was awesome. Sad to see Cape Virgo as they've been pretty amazing all tournament. But South Africa moving on to play Nigeria in the finals. So we got South Africa, Nigeria on one side, and we have Ivory Coast, Congo on the other. Hmm. If the favorites win, it'll be a Nigeria-Ivory Coast final, which would be very exciting, but we could get something a little more interesting than that as well. Unbelievable two games. Everyone needs to go see the highlights if they haven't. Yeah, I really canceled my Sling TV being subscription at an inopportune time. So I'm hosting a Super Bowl party, but right before 2 o'clock, the AFCON final is on. So I'm going to get a free trial to be in sports or whatever, and we're going to watch it before. Yeah, and I'm thinking, should we almost, you know, rent out a room? Like, should we promote this? I think more people, we saw how iconic the last World Cup final was. We almost converted a few Americans to being football fans. AFCON has the ability to change lives, change views on football. You know, you don't see as much flailing around as you do in the the Anglo and European football. Let's make it happen, buddy. Let's do it. That was our quick AFCON update. We hope you guys enjoyed it. As always, follow us on Twitter at Faking Injuries and give us a listen and a review on your favorite podcast platform. Love you guys. Bye. Love you guys. Bye.